Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. What is pride? You ever heard the word pride? So there's, there's um, two different kinds of pride. It can be one like as a parent, I'm proud of my kids. That's a healthy sense of pride. Uh, it can be perverted into something worse. You know, I could have a, uh, a sense of pride over my kids that could be unhealthy. But having a, a sense of pride at your kids' accomplishments is a good thing. But there's another kind of pride, and that kind of pride is destructive. And the kind of pride that we're talking about and looking at this month through the story of Samson in the Old Testament, actually the Old Testament book of Judges, chapters 14 through 16, where we see the picture of this man known as Samson, who is a judge over Israel. The kind of pride we're talking about in this series is the kind of pride that is not willing to admit when it's wrong. It's the kind of pride that somebody has that says, well, I'm never wrong. Or the kind of pride that uh, leads a person to believe that they're better than they are. They don't have an honest evaluation of themselves. And as we look at the story of Samson, we kind of see this haughtiness, this arrogance about who he is, and the amount of gifts that God has given him, and he's abusing the strength and the abilities that God has imbued within him for his purposes rather than for God's. Now, this would come full circle eventually, and if you stick around with this for the next couple weeks, you'll see the conclusion of Samson's story. But we come to the passage today in Judges chapter 15, where Samson, if you remember last week, let me give you a little little post view of last week, if you will. It was entitled Samson and the Lion. Samson was raised from birth to be a Nazarite, and Nazarite is someone who takes a vow. Now, Samson probably came to a point in time uh, at an age of accountability when he understood what it meant to be a Nazarite, where he actually officially took the vow, but he was raised as a Nazarite from birth. And what is a Nazarite? A Nazarite is somebody who never cuts their hair. A Nazarite is someone who uh, doesn't drink alcohol, it's hard liquor, specifically grapes from the vine. So they couldn't even eat grapes or raisins or anything like that. And uh, a Nazarite is someone who would never approach or touch a dead body of an animal or of a human, uh, even if it was your loved one, okay? So those are three criteria in the Nazarite vow. Last week we were talking about how Samson actually approached the vineyards of Timnah, broke off from his mom and dad because they were on their way for, him to, or for his family to secure him a bride among the Philistine women. He caught this woman's beauty. He's like, she looks good to me, get her for me, was really the terminology Samson used in, in Judges chapter 14. She looks good to me, go get her for me. We can already see in Samson's terminology and language, he thinks he's all that and he can get what he wants when he wants it. This was before the days of Burger King or McDonald's. (laughs) Have it your way right away. 
So he's demanding from his parents, and his parents are like, whoa, 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 why can't you, is there nobody among all the tribes of Israel that, that you couldn't pick a woman from, a wife from? Why do you have to go to the Philistines? So they're on their way to Timnah, where he'd seen this woman. And while they're on their way, Samson breaks off the path, and he goes near the orchards of Timnah. Now, what is one of the vows that a Nazarite takes? Don't go... Don't get anywhere near that. Don't, don't consume any. Why is he near the vineyards of Timnah? We don't know. But there's clear speculation that when you toy or get as close as you can to what you're not supposed to do, you're, you're, you're playing with fire. So we don't know if he grabbed a handful of grapes. We don't know if he was near the wine presses and tasting some of the great wine that they had to offer in Timnah. But he was not with his parents. And while he was there, he was ambushed by a lion. A lion jumps out to attack him. And he is overpowered by the presence of the Holy Spirit, which comes upon him. And he takes the jaws of this lion and rips them apart as if it were just a baby goat. All right? So... Not only is he near something he shouldn't be near, now he has caused the death of an animal and he's touched a dead animal. And he goes back to his parents and they're none the wiser and he doesn't tell them what happened. So what happens next? Well, they secure the marriage. Uh, but what was custom in, in Jewish culture and even in the Middle Eastern culture is you don't just get hitched right away. There's an engagement period in that time called a betrothal. And so what would happen during that engagement period is the couple would not be together, usually, because the soon-to-be husband of the couple would go back home to their home place, and they would build on to the parents' home. So in essence, the husband would go prepare a place for his bride. And as I mentioned last week, does that sound familiar to you? Jesus in John chapter 14 says, don't worry, I'm going to be gone soon, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's telling his disciples this. Does that sound familiar? The church, the body of Christ, is the bridegroom of Christ. And Christ is the groom, or the groom, the, the, the one who will come back someday to receive us. He's preparing a place for those who believe in him. He's building on to the kingdom for those who are being saved. And at just the right time, he'll come back again. Well, this is what Samson did. So it was approximately about nine months to a year, more than likely. He goes back home, builds a place onto his family's place, to his father's house. And so now there are more rooms. And they're on their way back to Timnah. And what does Samson do? Well, about the same place he broke off from his parents before, he breaks off again. And he's curious. I, I wonder if the lion is still there that I killed about a year earlier. And sure enough, he comes upon the skeletal remains of the lion. But to his surprise... Bees have now nested in the carcass of this lion, more than likely the rib cage, and there are layers upon layers of honey and honeycomb. And I'm guessing it doesn't tell us he sees this as a sign from God. Well, look at the 
Yeah, God's not mad at me. He even allowed bees to, to make honey. So I'm going to take some of the honey, and he starts eating it. He takes it back to mom and dad, not telling them where he got it from, and offers some to them. And we're explicitly told he makes sure not to tell his parents. The day of the wedding comes, the bridal party um, is given a riddle actually Samson's groomsmen who were Philistines because he didn't bring his own men along. And so the bride's family got some groomsmen together for Samson to watch over, care for him till the day of the wedding. And Samson gives them this riddle. And I'm, you'll have to go back and look in Judges chapter 14 because I didn't memorize the riddle. But the riddle was about his accomplishment of killing this lion with his bare hands and that honey was growing in his carcass. And nobody would have been able to get that. But he made this deal with them. If you can figure out my riddle within seven days before the ceremony, then I'll give you each a fine linen robe and ephods and those kind of things, which is a lot of money. But he knew they wouldn't figure it out. And so before the day of the wedding... These groomsmen come to the wife, or soon-to-be wife, of Samson, and they threaten her. Here's the deal. If you don't tell us Samson's riddle, then we'll burn you and your father alive. That's a, that's a great deal, right? So what happens? She begins to beg and nag and nag and beg, and, and Samson gets worn down over the next few days. And he finally says, fine, I'll tell you. And he tells his wife the riddle and the answer to the riddle, who then goes back and tells the groomsmen. And the groomsmen come back and tell Samson the answer to the riddle. <laughs> and in a stunning turn of events, he insults his wife again and says, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't have realized or learned about my riddle. This Samson is, is a haughty, arrogant guy. If you hadn't plowed, okay, in case you're not sure, and I said this last week, the term, to call a woman a heifer in Samson's day is just as bad as it would be today. Okay, don't ever do that, guys. You'll find yourself on the receiving end of a punch or worse, okay? But that's what happened. Samson goes, he, he goes into Ashkelon, which is another Philistine town, kills 30 men, takes their linen garments and stuff, brings them back, throws them at his groomsmen, and then storms back off to home in Israel. And at the very last verse of chapter 14, the father of the bride says, well, since Samson's not here, best man, do you want to marry her? Well, the ceremony had already happened. And Samson now comes back into town for his wife, which is where we pick up our chapter today, chapter 15. Read along with me. Later on during the wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat as a present to his wife. <laughs> Uh-oh. I'm going into my wife's room to sleep with her. But her father wouldn't let him in. 
I, we don't know how much time has elapsed. We know it's wheat harvest, so more than likely several months have passed. He's now, after he's cooled off, he's not as angry as he was before. Have you ever gotten mad and you've stomped off in frustration and then you cool off and you're like, okay, I'm going to go back. Well, this is what Samson did. And he's going back to sleep with his wife, <laughs> who has been given to her best man or his best man. I, I truly thought you must hate her, her father explained. So I gave her in marriage to your best man. But look, her younger sister is even more beautiful than she is. Marry her instead. Side note. <laughs> Women were not looked upon as highly as they are today in our culture. And we think women have it bad in our culture and with the uh, with the move on and all of that there are some bad things that happen there's no question about it but compared to ancient culture women were not even considered uh worthy enough to to hold testimony in court uh they were considered not even secondary citizens they were lower on the food chain than that and so the father says hey younger sister's kind of pretty you want her now, young ladies or ladies of any age, how would you have felt when you were younger if your dad said, you want to hitch up with my younger daughter? How do you think that would bode? Not so great. Samson goes on to say in verse 3, this time I cannot be blamed for everything I'm going to do to you Philistines. Then he went out and caught 300 foxes. Do you know about foxes? I didn't know a whole lot. I know they're just kind of these small little rodent-like creatures that look like cats mixed with a dog. All right? It's true. They're about the size of a cat, but they look kind of like a... Seriously, if a cat and a dog got together and had a relationship, boom, a fox. That's what it looks like. Can you imagine trying to catch foxes? Because trappers have a hard enough time trying to catch foxes. Now imagine catching 300 of them. Samson is very methodical, and he takes his time. We don't know how much time elapses before he's able to catch 300 foxes, but he catches 300 foxes. He then ties their tails together in pairs. It's like tying two cats' tails together. <laughs> Think about that. It's not an amicable relationship. For two cats to have their tails tied together much less two foxes and then he fastened a torch onto each pair of tails <laughs> that's pretty cool then he lit the torches and let the foxes run through the grain fields of the philistines what was it time for it was time for wheat harvest it's already dried out the kernels are freshly dried. The stalks are dead and dry, sticking up out of the ground. What do you think fire and dried wheat is going to do? It's going to burn, baby burn. He lit the torches and let the foxes run through the grain fields of the Philistines. He burned all their grain to the ground, including the sheaves and the uncut grain. He also destroyed their vineyards and olive groves. He was pretty mad. Then I got one laugh. Thank you. 
I'll pay you after service or whatever. So then the Philistines ask, who did this? Samson was the reply because his father-in-law from Timnah gave us Samson's wife to be married to his best man. I mean, just the story is, is phenomenal just at its face value reading. Who did this? Everybody's wanting to know. The fields are burnt. The vineyards are destroyed. The olive groves are laid to waste. Oh, it, it, was, it was Samson. His father-in-law gave his wife to his best man. And it gets better or worse, depending on your perspective. So the Philistines went out and got the woman and her father and burned them to death. Huh. What was the threat that was given to Samson's wife about the riddle? If you don't find out the riddle from your husband, we'll burn you and your dad to death. Huh. Self-fulfilling prophecy, I guess, in some regard. Because you did this, Samson vowed, after they burnt his wife and his father-in-law to death. Since you did this, I won't rest until I take my revenge on you. So he attacked the Philistines with great fury and killed many of them. He then went to live in a cave in the rock of Edom. The Philistines retaliated by setting up camp in Judah and spreading out near the town of Lehi. The men of Judah asked the Philistines, why are you attacking us? The Philistines replied, well, we've come to capture Samson. We've come to pay him back for what he did to us. So 3,000 men of Judah went down to get Samson in the cave at the rock of Edom. And they said to Samson, don't you realize the Philistines rule over us? What are you doing to us? So Samson is the judge of Israel. He's hiding out in the cave. In his home territory, the Philistines come and are trying to find him, and they're attacking any Jew in sight they can get to. And they finally say, why are you doing this? Well, Samson did this to us, so we're coming for him, and if we have to get to him through you, we will. And so they said, okay, whoa, 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 let us, let's have a timeout. We'll go find Samson for you. So 3,000 of the men of Judah went to find Samson. Don't you realize the Philistines rule over over us? Why are you doing, what are you doing to us? But Samson replied, I only did to them what they did to me. Oh yeah, well they started it. (laughs) Do you hear the overtones of immaturity and pridefulness in this passage? But the men of Judah told him, we have come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. All right, (laughs) you got it, but promise that you won't kill me yourselves. That's my only request. Tie me up, bind me, do whatever you need to, take me to the Philistines, but don't kill me yourselves. Okay, we will only tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines, they replied. We won't kill you. So they tied him up with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. 
As Samson arrived at Lehi, the Philistines came shouting in triumph. But the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon Samson, and he snapped the ropes on his arms as if they were burnt strands of flax, and they fell from his wrist. Then he found the jawbone of a recently killed donkey. What is he doing? What's a Nazarite? I'm just telling you, if you aren't careful, you overlook this stuff. He's violating his vow again. He picks up the jawbone of a recently killed donkey. He picked it up and killed a thousand Philistines with it. And then Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have piled them in heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I've killed a thousand men. Who did it? I did it. Ha, 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 ha. Mighty Samson with the jawbone of a donkey. When he was finished boasting, he threw away the jawbone, and the place is called Jawbone Hill. It sounds like a song from Elvis. <laughs> or actually, it's uh, 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 Fats Domino. I found my thrill. Thank you. Samson was now very thirsty, and he cried out to the Lord, You have accomplished this great victory by the strength of your servant. Must I now die of thirst and fall to the hands of these pagans? Look what I did. Oh, I'm thirsty. God, what have you done to me? No, we don't do that. Just biblical characters in the Old Testament. Look what I've done. I'm so proud of myself. And then when things go bad, God, what have you done? I did this great thing in your name, and look at me, I'm going to die. We are so disturbed, aren't we? So God caused water to gush out of the hollow of the ground at Lehi, and Samson was revived as he drank. Then he named the place the spring of the one who cried out. <laughs> Who cried out? I'm going to name not only this place where I killed a thousand men with a jawbone of a donkey, Jawbone Hill. I'm going to name the place where I cried out to God, the place where I cried out. <laughs> because he gave me a drink and it's all about me. And it is still in Lehi to this day. Samson judged Israel for 20 years during the period that the Philistines, Philistines dominated the land. So here's the deal. All right, hear me out on this. That was a long passage of scripture. I hope it illuminated you as much as it did me. But here's the key point today. Pride will always lead to destruction. Pride is destructive by its very nature, and it always leads to destruction. If you are a person that struggles with pride, ultimately it will destroy you. And if it doesn't just destroy you, it'll also destroy your relationships. It'll destroy everything you set your mind to. Now, it may not seem that way on the front end, but I promise you on the back end, pride in and of itself is destructive. If you have struggles with that, then, then we have to deal with that. The destructive nature of pride can come in the form of rage. What did, what did Samson do? Rightly so. You might, you might see, he's, he's justified. He came back to get his wife, but the dad gave his wife to his best man. I'd be ticked off too. Yeah, right? Would you be angry? What do you do in your anger? A lot of times we do act out. Sometimes our anger drives us to these places where we think we need to take matters into our own hands. 
And then we become destructive. And we do things we know we shouldn't do. Or we don't do things we know we should do. We don't have restraint or self-control whenever anger takes us over. Well, Brandon, God created anger. It's an emotion. Isn't it a good thing? Yes. But in your anger, we are told we are not to sin in the New Testament, right? In your anger, sin not. But anger, when uncontrolled, leads to sin. Anger, when uncontrolled, can become what we call rage. And rage, in and of itself, is a sinful thing. What does rage bring about? A trail of destruction. A person who is enraged doesn't have control of all their faculties. They don't have control of themselves. When a person becomes enraged, we call them crazy. They snapped. Have you ever seen those TV shows? I think it's called Snapped where the woman uh, in a married couple just snaps and kills her husband. Yes, there's a TV show out there called Snapped. My wife started watching it some time ago. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And it started to concern me. I'm like, why are you watching this? Are you trying to find out what to do while I'm sleeping? She said, no, it's just really interesting. Right, I'm sure. When injustice is done to us, we're faced with a decision, okay? When somebody has done something to us or against us or one of our loved ones, it stirs within us an opportunity. Either we respond in kind or we allow God to fight for us and lead us in his ways rather than our own selfish and impulsive ways. But what is the heart of God? What is the heart of God? How can we respond when we feel that injustice is heaped upon us? What are we to do in the circumstances that confront us sometimes daily, weekly, yearly, month, whatever the case is, when we've had injustice done to us, and some of us, if not all of us, have at one time or another been betrayed by another, been hurt by another, been abused by another? What are we to do about that? Do we act out and respond in kind? Because most of the world would not judge us if we did. Would they? But what is God's take on all of this? Well, in Romans chapter 12, Paul writes to the church in Rome these words. Hear me out. Never pay back evil with more evil. Let me say that again. Not my words, Paul's words in the Bible, New Testament, book of Romans. Never pay back evil with more evil evil do things in such a way that everyone can see that you're honorable did samson conduct himself in an honorable way do all that you can to live in peace with everyone let me let me break that down for a minute do everything that you can to live at peace with everyone what does that mean this is what it means. Do everything you can to live at peace with everyone. Hey, that's pretty face value. 
What are you doing to live at peace with everyone? Now, you can't force people to live at peace with you. But you have the choice, and you have the decision, and you have the responsibility over you to do everything that you can to live at peace with others. And it's not just certain others, it's everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge, he goes on to say. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. What is he saying? You're fallen, you're broken, you have a sinful nature. Even though you may be saved, you have a propensity back to sin. There's always temptation that finds itself knocking at your door. But who reserves all of the ability of righteous anger? and never has any of the negative circum or consequences of bad anger. God. So don't take revenge. Leave that to the perfect anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. What do we see? What does Samson do? I've killed all these men with a donkey's jawbone. I took revenge, I'm gonna call it Jawbone Hill. I've heaped up bodies by the thousand. Who took revenge in that scenario? Samson. Who should have taken revenge? God. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. <laughs> what does Samson do? to all of their food supply, burns it to the ground. Well, this is scripture contradicting itself. Wasn't Samson justified? God never honored or justified that. It says the Holy Spirit came upon him and strengthened him, but in spite of himself, okay? I want you to, there's a distinction here. Just because God may imbue you with talents and abilities, he doesn't make you use them for his glory. And you can abuse them and use them in wrong ways. I mean, we see this in the news today. How many people in positions of authority within the church have abused what God has imbued them with and have abused the position for their glory rather than for his and have left a wake of destruction in their pathway? Now, that seems to go back to the story of Samson. He took matters into his own hands. He, he killed and slaughtered and destroyed in his name. Look what I've done, and I'm proud of it. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads, not on their fields of wheat. And he's not saying... Kill them with kindness, as I grew up to learn, actually is a false representation of the scripture. It's not your intent to go out and say, I'm going to do so much good to you because I hate you. <laughs> That's what God says. I'm going to be good to you. I'm going to feed you because I hate you. <laughs> is that what God says? Is that what God's word says? No, it says, don't respond evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. If your enemy's hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them drink. 
See, in doing this kind of stuff, by the very nature of your kind-heartedness and your love to your enemy, it will heat burning coals on their heads. What happens in the refiner's fire? They start with coals. And when they stoke those coals up, what happens when they put the metals inside of the refining fire on top of those coals? It purifies the metal. Our actions toward another, even our enemies, should be such a purifying agent that it turns them to God. If we respond evil for evil, where will they turn? Tell me. If we, as believers in Christ, respond with revenge toward another, where will they turn? Against us. We want to turn them to God. See, pride when uncontrolled leads to rage. Rage when uncontrolled leads to destruction. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. The second thing, and really quickly this morning, is the destructive nature of pride always leads to death. Not only does it lead to uh, lead to rage and anger and revenge, what we see is it leading to death. Now, it can lead to physical death. In many cases, it does. You see passions, uh, a crime, uh, crimes done by passion, right? Heat of the moment, somebody snaps. Sometimes it's premeditated. Sometimes it's in, in just the heat of the moment where somebody says, I, 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 lost, I lost control of myself. I blacked out at that moment. I don't know what happened. So sometimes it can lead to physical death. Sometimes it leads to emotional death. If somebody, if somebody is controlled by pride, it starts to numb the other faculties and the other emotions of their life. If, you, if you're full of pride, it can start to numb your joy. It can start to numb the love in your life. It can start to numb the peace that you have. It can start to numb all of these fruits that come from the Holy Spirit if you allow pride to take root in your life. So it can kill you emotionally. What other kind of death can, can pride lead to? It can lead to spiritual death because nobody can enter the kingdom of heaven with a prideful, haughty spirit. Again, let's go back to this passage in the New Testament where it says, uh, because of what Christ did for us, we can enter the throne room of grace boldly. But I think a lot of times we misconstrue that and think, well, bold, boldly means I can be puffed up and put my chest out. No, boldness is confidence. So this, those two words are interchangeable in the Greek. So I can enter the throne room of God's grace with confidence, knowing that I can go there because of what Christ did for me, but it takes humility to do that. It takes humility to enter God's presence. You can't enter God's presence with arrogance or a chip on your shoulder. Samson boasted about all that he had done. He boasted about how he had killed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. So now that he was finished his boasting he, and about how much he'd accomplished with his own strength, remember when I said he gets thirsty? <laughs> you know what's interesting to me? Is that we can be boastful and proud about our accomplishments 
But then when all of those start crashing down because of something as simple as thirst or a hungry, hungry stomach, we realize that we need something outside of ourselves. Do, do you see this crazy game that Samson's playing? God has given him amazing abilities. He's given him so much. And Samson abuses what he's been given. He uses it for his glory rather than for God's. He does some stupid and foolish things. And then when he's at a point of weakness is when he calls out to God. But see, he doesn't call out to God in humility. What does he do? Do you notice this? Because a person who has pride rooted in their hearts will always cry out to God out of that sense of pride, not out of a sense of humility. Lord, what are you doing to me? What are you doing to me? Look at this. Then Samson said, with the jawbone to knock, he have killed, blah, blah, blah. When he finished boasting, he threw away the jawbone. It's called Jawbone Hill. And then what does he say? He was very thirsty and he cried out to the Lord. You have accomplished this great victory in the name of your servant. He's manipulating. Pride will always manipulate as well. He now gives glory to God because he wants something from God. Do you see what's happening? Look what I've done. I've conquered. I'm thirsty now, God. Look what you've done. Can you please give me something? In the same breath, Samson only gives glory to God to get something from him. Do we do that? God, what are you doing to me? I, I, look, what I've, look at all that I've done for you. Don't you owe me? You ever said that or thought that? Out of everything that I've done for you. No, you've done everything for you. And now you want more. Give me something to drink. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. This is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom or the powerful boast in their power or the rich boast in their riches. Verse 24, but those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth and that I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken. How often have we completed tasks that we think are important only to realize that we were working on the wrong project or task to begin with? How much time and energy do we waste all because we neglect to follow God's lead rather than our own selfish desires? How much damage and destruction have we caused all because we thought we were doing the right thing in the heat of the moment, but in all reality, we were selfishly doing what we wanted to do? How much more could we actually do in life if we listened to the voice of God and followed his directives and his purposes for our lives than our impulsive natures? 
The little boy came running to his mother shouting, Mommy, I'm nine feet tall. His mom said, what are you talking about? He answered, I really am nine feet tall. Well, wait a minute. What makes you think this? Because I measured myself, he said. Okay, how did you measure yourself? Well, I took off my shoe and I measured myself with that. It's the same size as my foot and I'm really nine feet tall. (laughs) The mom mom responds, oh, uh, now I understand. Your measure was not the right one. You may be nine foot tall measured by your shoe, but you're not that tall measured by a 12 inch ruler. You see, the Bible says that people measuring themselves by themselves are not wise. What are you measuring yourself by? If you measure yourself by your own standard, you may come out on the positive end of things. But you measure yourself by God's standard, then you realize you are a person who is in desperate need of God's grace. Now, it doesn't mean we need to grovel and say, oh, woe is me. What we should do is, yes, be repentant of that sin that maybe had had a hold on us for so long. But once we've handed that to God and surrendered our lives to him, then we are able to say, by God's standard, which is Jesus Christ, he views me as a child of God. But by my standard, sometimes I measure up, sometimes I don't. You see, we live in a culture, and let me, let me do this real quick. I have people coming and talking to me on a regular basis, more so now than any other time in ministry. And I've been in ministry going on 20 years now. And I've got people coming to me, and they say, I don't believe in the Bible. People that are in the church, I don't believe in the Bible. I don't believe it's all true. Okay? Why? Because there are certain things I don't like. I don't like what it says. I think it goes against the grain of society. I think it's outdated, outmoded, that it, it, it needs to change with the times. This is all the stuff I've ever heard. Okay. Well, then what do you measure the standard of right and wrong based on? Well, I determine what's right and wrong for me. Nobody else does. Okay. So what... What I then ask is, well, are you perfect in every way? Not being haughty or snotty about it. Are you perfect? Because if you are the standard for what's right and wrong in life, then are you perfect? Because if you're perfect, then your standard for right and wrong is always going to be perfect. But if you're not perfect, then what does your standard say about you? If you are the sole determiner of what's right and wrong and you're not perfect then all of your decisions are not going to be perfect. You might hit a few, you'll miss a lot. Well, okay, then if it's not that, then maybe it's the government. It's the law of the land which determines what's right and wrong. Do you love your legislators? Do you know that Congress's approval rating right now, I think, is in the single digits? The president's approval rating is higher but you talk about donald trump in the public or barack obama during his term you get mixed reviews and these are the ones who help determine the laws of our land 
based on our Constitution. Well, the Constitution's perfect. Well, the Constitution is an amazing document. And it's based on something that's perfect, but it in and of itself is not perfect. Because it's based on Judeo-Christian principles. See, the founders of our, of our governmental structure built their Declaration of Independence and the Constitution we live by and the Bill of Rights on Judeo-Christian principles, the Scripture. But over the years, like the Pharisees did, they took God's original law and then they put their own interpretation and spin on it to the point when Jesus comes onto the scene, they begin to call him a sinner when he's not doing anything wrong against God's perfect laws, but he's doing things wrong according to their law. So what is the perfect standard? And if you carry this conversation with people all the way down to the end of the conclusion of it all, it's just, well, it's what I believe is usually what I get. And I said, I used to believe like you. I used to believe I wanted to do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. It was all about me. But when I build my theology, my belief system, my, my standard for right and wrong on me, and then I royally mess up, I realize that I'm not the perfect standard, nor do I have the perfect standard. If I'm wanting to be gut level honest, I have to admit I don't have it figured out. So where's your standard? Where was Samson's standard? Samson's standard was in himself. Samson determined what he wanted to do when he wanted to do it, and he left a wake of destruction time and time again. Samson would be mightily used of God, and we'll find that out in a couple weeks. But it took him being completely humbled in order for that to happen. What's it going to take for us, North Main Street Church of God, to be humble enough to say, we're not always right, but God is. And he's the sole source of truth and the standard for truth, and he is who we root and found ourselves in. Where are you building your house? Shifting sand or on the rock? You may not like everything the Bible states or says about things that you maybe have a conflict with. But God loves you. Just as a loving parent would set up boundaries for their kid, God has set up boundaries for us. And we may not like those boundaries, but they are there to protect us, to give us hope, to give us a future, to give us an undergirding and an overshadowing of this amazing love if we just follow his ways, believe in Jesus Christ, and allow him to rule our lives. Where's your identity found? See, Samson's identity was found in what he could do and the amazing strength that he had. He didn't find his identity rooted in God. And that's where he went off the rails. Is your identity rooted in your sexuality? Is your identity rooted in your hurts, habits, or hangups? Is it rooted in your addictions? Is it rooted in your failures from your past? Is your identity rooted in that person who abused you? Is your identity rooted in the job that you lost or the demotion you got? Is your, is your identity rooted in what your dad told you your whole life or your mom? 
Is your identity rooted in who your boss says you are? Where's your identity rooted? You see, I would like for my identity to be rooted in Christ, who determined I was worth it to be nailed to a cross so that all who believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. See, he counts us worthy to die for us that way because he thinks that we're worth it. And if he thinks I'm worth it, then I want to root my identity in him. This morning, as our worship team comes forward to close this out, there's the question from this whole message today is where's our identity rooted? See, you're going to struggle for the rest of your life if your identity is rooted in anything or anyone else than Christ. And if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. If you were in Christ, you were a child of God. You were a princess of the Most High King. You were a prince of the Most High King. And you deserve what the King gives you as a child of God. But if you are not a child of God, you deserve what the King gives those who are against His kingdom. Where are you rooted? Let's pray. Father, we love you. And um, this day, in this place, we pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would fall upon us. That each and every person in this place would feel the sweet presence of your Holy Spirit. Yes, would maybe fall under conviction if there's something in them that's separating them from you. And that, God, you would call them to this higher calling where they will get that out of their lives. If their standards aren't rooted in Christ, I pray that today you would help them to make that a reality. If their identities aren't rooted in you, I pray that they would have a change of heart and allow their identity to find its root in you, the author and perfecter of their faith. Ground them in truth. Encourage them with your love. Bless them through the power and the strength of your Holy Spirit and help them as women and men and children of God to step into the throne room of grace with confidence knowing that Jesus Christ has paid their debt. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.